Hey, this is Corey Wong. If you are interested in guitar players, if you're interested in artists and how they think, why they create, what it is that motivates them to create, come check out my podcast, Wong Notes Podcast, where I get to interview some of my absolute heroes, people like John Mayer, Niall Rogers, Jacob Collier, Madison Cunningham, Benson, Vi, Santana, Satriani, Lukather, Matheny. Oh, the names are insane. Icons of the guitar, icons of artistry and creativity. I absolutely love sitting down with these musicians and getting to ask them about their creative process and get into the details of why they do what they do. Check it out, Wong Notes. Listen now, wherever you get podcasts. Welcome to another week of Chasing Frets. I'm here with my co-host, Andy Ellis. How are you doing, Andy? I am doing well today. Thank you. Well, we are breaking all the rules this week and inviting a mandolinist uh, to come on the show. And uh, this week's guest is Sierra Hall, who uh, I know we, we say this a lot, but I, I remember I think one of our first lists of possible guests months and months ago, Andy, I think she mm-hmm. was she was on it. Oh, yes. And... So often when we get a, to, to sit around and, you know, shoot the, shoot for the sky as far as artists, I do it selfishly. You know, who do I want to talk to? Uh, oh, I am fascinated with mandolin. Oh, Sierra, she, she, she'd be the one. Come on, let's, let's do that. And it's almost like a birthday present when it happens. Yeah, and uh, in today's episode, she uh, covers a lot of her backstory, uh, you know, mm-hmm. growing up in a small town. Uh, like you said, blowing right past the fiddle, heading right for the mandolin. And I think you got one thing that stuck out to me is, you know, she picked up the mandolin around by age eight or nine, mm-hmm. and by 11, she was playing on the Grand Old Opry. Yes, people, and when it comes to mandolin, look no further than Sierra. Well, <laughs> you can look further, but Sierra's got it all. So uh, so today we, we cover some of her backstory and also um, – Give some tips if you're a guitar player who wants to start to dabble in mandolin and mm-hmm. where to go from there. So you can hit us up at chasingfrets at premierguitar.com. And so here's our first episode with Sierra Hall. Sierra, thank you so much for joining us this week on on Chasing Frets. How are you? Man, doing good. Uh, Thanks for having me. Yeah. And you are, I believe, the first non-guitarist to appear. Well, I should say Ah! guitarist by, I mean, people know you as a mandolinist. I know you also play guitar, but... I, I play guitar, but yeah, mandolin's kind of thing, been right? more of my primary instrument, you know, in my life. So that's a that's quite the honor. Thanks for having <laughs> me on. <laughs> when you were growing up, was it mandolin first or guitar, or was it something completely different? Well, I, 
I would say mandolin, really, but I actually got a fiddle first. I thought I wanted to play fiddle, and actually that just kind of stemmed out of um, my older brother was learning to play a little bit. My dad had gotten into playing music, and we lived next door to my um, great aunt and uncle, and my uncle Jr. was self-taught on mandolin fiddle and played a little guitar, and he wasn't a he wasn't a real skilled musician. I don't think he'd ever had any lessons, but you know, he could play a few chords on the guitar and play tunes like Wildwood Flower or Down Under, some of those kind of old, um, you know, traditional instrumental tunes. And, um, and so he loved it. And I remember hearing the mandolin and fiddle and, and those instruments at an early age, just because he'd always have one in his hand when you walked in their house. And, uh, so he got my dad inspired to want to play because my dad had always loved um, just bluegrass. But I mean, my dad loves 80s music. He loves kind of everything. So I remember my mom saying she couldn't believe that my dad would have gotten into bluegrass as much as he did because he could sing every song on the radio, you know, when they were dating and stuff. But um, so he apparently always wanted a mandolin and he had bought one and had just started taking lessons. So he was attending some festivals and um, like very small local things here in Tennessee where I grew up. And um, so naturally he started trying to get my older brother interested in playing um, banjo at one point. And uh, he eventually went on to play guitar. Um, but I wanted to do everything my older brother did. So I was like, well, I got to play something too. You know, I got to get in on this. And so at some point, I don't remember who maybe mentioned it. I, I feel like I have a recollection of my, my grandma asking like, well, how would you like to play the fiddle? And I was like, oh, that'd be great. You know, <laughs> I'm like eight years old. And so I got one for Christmas. Um, I guess this was right before my, my eighth birthday. Um, but anyway, I, I got one for Christmas. But my dad had told my granny and her sister and my great uncle, like, hey, you know, make sure and get her a small one, because I was pretty petite anyway for a, a eight-year-old. But um, they didn't really understand that there was different sizes, so I got a full <laughs> size, and it was just, oh, it man. was just way, way too much. I couldn't reach the end of it. They might know? as well have given you like a baritone <laughs> guitar. I know, I know. So anyway, I couldn't really reach the end of the the neck of the fiddle. So um, my dad, who had recently just bought a mandolin and was learning to play, said, hey, like, you know, these instruments are tuned alike, you know, as far as like you have eight strings on the mandolin, but the tuning is the same. And of course, there's the pick versus the bow. But why don't I show you a tune on the mandolin? We'll get you a smaller fiddle and you'll at least know where to put your fingers with the left hand, you know, to play a tune. So I was like, okay, sure. And it took us a little bit to actually get a smaller fiddle. And before you know it, I'm, you know, a couple weeks into playing mandolin and I've just fallen in love with it. And I just, you know, kind of from there decided, okay, this is what I want to do with my life. It was kind oh, of an immediate yeah. connection mm -hmm. to music and, and playing and kind of have never looked back since that moment. So you mentioned, you know, older brother, little sister wants to be like big brother. You know, it's cool. Like I can imagine for an eight year old, like it's cool that your dad is interested in something you're interested in. So that, you know, was a, was a bonding thing, but was there a live, a live music experience around this time where you saw somebody play the mandolin that like really opened your eyes to what's possible? Well, so I, growing up where I did, I'm, I'm from a little town called Birdstown, Tennessee, which is like an extremely rural part of northern middle Tennessee. There's like 900 people in my town, and there wasn't really 
um, a strong music scene, but there's all these, you know, I grew up going to church uh, every week and, and hearing music that way and hearing those old hymns. And a lot of times it wasn't, music was like a part of my life from an early age, just through the church and hearing music like that. Um, but, you know, it was a very informal, it wasn't like a, you know, like these days, like if you were to walk in a church in Nashville somewhere, because it sounds like a pro band playing, this was like totally people just kind of singing songs by memory out of the hymn book, maybe singing them <laughs> right, maybe not, you know, totally just, just, you know, <clears throat> doing it for the love of, of singing and, and, um, and playing when they could. But once we started going to some kind of local jams uh, again, and it's not that they were, these were like professional players, but, um, you know, people who loved it and got together every weekend to do this. And so I was lucky to have that nearby that my dad had started going to. So I started going with him and these local musicians just couldn't have been more welcoming to me as a little kid. You know, they'd invite me to join the circle and jam. And so I would hear a lot of the songs that we would consider the kind of standard repertoire of bluegrass, you know, songs that no matter where you grow up, if you learn to play this music, you know, somebody could have grown up in California, me growing up here in Tennessee. And at some point we meet when we've been playing three years, both of us, and we can play 50 of the same songs because, you know, you're kind of learning that, um, that tradition of, of these tunes that everybody plays and, and songs they sing. So I learned a ton that way, just through listening um my dad when he really you know he's sort of the personality when he gets into something he really gets into it so like we were listening to music every every day in the house once once bluegrass kind of became a thing and it was it was definitely a, a bonding experience within our family just because you know every day we'd be listening to this music and you know i was lucky because my dad my dad hardly plays now. I mean, he never was like trying to be some like pro musician or anything. He just loved it. And once I started getting into it um, and my brother, it took my brother a little bit to really get into it quite as much as I did. Like once I got into it, I was like super in it, but my brother always had a lot of different interests and he's super talented, but you know, he wasn't necessarily like as in it as me. But once, once I got in it, um, it was, it was just like, you know, Game hours over, every yeah. day and hours every day of um, playing. And my dad kind of really started to devote his attention to like less about him trying to become a musician and him trying to like steer my brother and I toward mm -hmm. becoming better players and, you know, finding new CDs and discovering new bands. I mean, when you're first coming into a, a style of music that you don't know very much about, which bluegrass was kind of that for us, we, you know, knew a little bit about it, but it was like, oh, whoa, you just discovered Tony Rice. Oh my gosh. Like, who is this guy? And, you know, so I wouldn't say there was a, this, I'm giving you the long winded answer. Of, I wouldn't say that, that there was like a particular concert right away that I went to because even though we only lived, you know, a couple hours from Nashville for where I grew up, um, we didn't really come here very much. It was like, that would have been like mm. a, a big trip, you know, to really like go to the city and like hear somebody play. So most, most of my heroes didn't really come around my little rural part of Tennessee very often. So most of it was kind of just learning from local people and being inspired by perhaps the community as much as the music itself, you know, that, that shared experience of like looking forward to going. And even though I was, 
you know, oftentimes the only mm-hmm. young person, you know, um, at these jams. It just, I never was made to feel like, oh, well, she's the kid mm-hmm. or she's the female even. Because a lot of times it was just, you know, me and yeah. a bunch of older yeah. dudes. <laughs> but they but they were so welcoming and they always treated me um, with respect and, and uh, encouraged me and, and would show me you know, songs and, and things like that along the way. So I feel really grateful to have had that um, experience that I could, you know, have pretty much every week for a long time early on in my life. So how did the guitar slide into it? You started with the, uh, you know, it blew right past the fiddle <laughs> and got right into the mandolin. And was it as a result of going to some of these circles and, and playing and realizing that, there would be a role for you also to play guitar, to back up other people? Well, so, I mean, I was primarily playing mandolin when I would go to these jams, but my dad had also learned to play um, just chords on the guitar. And, and so a big part of my practicing when I was a kid was just practicing playing tunes I'd learned. So it's like, okay, I learned to play another, you know, fiddle tune is kind of what, um, you know, the slang term is for any instrumental mm-hmm. tune, as you know, and, and bluegrass or whatever. So like any new fiddle tune I had learned to play on the mandolin, m- my dad would sit there and he would learn the, the chords and he would back me up. So, you know, I'm kind of playing almost every day one-on-one with my dad playing guitar. And even just the mm-hmm. visual element of sitting in front of somebody playing guitar every day, you start mm-hmm. to like, you know, I could say, oh, I know that's a G chord. I know that's a C chord. I know that's a D chord. I remember like being able to start to recognize the shapes of the guitar chords so that if I was in a jam and somebody goes to play a C chord, I'd know, oh, to play a C on my mandolin or, or oh, that's an E minor. Let me play that on the mandolin. So like, I think there's a, a certain connection to like guitar oftentimes feeling like the core instrument in some ways of a jam like that. It's like a very... Mm-hmm. Um, visual instrument as far as like the rhythm goes. So I had that connection just visually and probably about nine months into playing mandolin, um, I started learning to play some chords myself on the guitar, um, um, got my first guitar of my own, like a smaller, kind of slightly smaller guitar, like a a big baby Taylor, Mm -hmm. I think it was. And, uh, and just started, you know, kind of going from there. And then, then it felt like a natural transition to take some of the tunes that I'd learned to play on the mandolin and learn to also play them on the guitar. So it was kind of more of an organic thing than just like deciding, Oh, there's a big reason I want to play guitar. It's just kind of like, why not? You know, the guitar is a great instrument. And I had one right there readily available. And and Mm -hmm. so I never actually had, guitar lessons. It was just more so like my dad showing me a couple things that he had learned and kind of learning from just being around it so much. And I think one point you you made was, especially when you like the visual side of learning these chords, because it's, I remember I was with a friend one time and we were watching some band play on TV and I was kind of, I was like naming out the chords. I was like, oh, they're in the key of D or whatever. And he's like, do you have perfect pitch? I'm like, no, but it's such a valuable skill to be able to look at somebody playing the guitar, playing the mandolin, and without even hearing what they're playing, as long as they're at standard tuning, you know, you know what those chords are going to be. That's such a valuable skill that other instruments, not a lot of other instruments have. Absolutely. Yeah. And I remember... um, It was funny because, like, when I was younger in in one of the uh, churches early on that I kind of grew up in, like I said, these are musicians that just sort of 
they're just playing to basically be able to back themselves up. They're not professional players or anything like that. And so I remember like when they'd put the capo on, they'd say like, you know, G1 or G2 rather than like, you know, A flat or, or A, you know? And, uh, and so I remember being like, okay, well, when they put the capo on, that changes things too. They're still playing like a G shape, but what is that chord actually, you know, cause on the mandolin, I'm not using a capo. So what is that? And so, you know, just being able to recognize, okay, if you're on the third fret of a guitar capo and you play G, then okay, we're going to be in B flat now. And, mm-hmm. and so, yeah, I think that, that visual learning is huge, you know, and, and I kind of think of a lot of the way I've learned over the years as being a very, like visual learner too, like thinking in terms of shapes and movements and things like that. I think that even from an early age helped me like memorize certain things and develop that kind of muscle memory that you, that you do, especially in bluegrass uh, growing up in such kind of an organic form of music where, I mean, I was never taught about theory. I mean, I learned the names of the strings and I remember you know, at one point my dad being like, you should probably know the names of the notes, like everywhere on the instrument, you know, like you should know where all, where G is everywhere on the mandolin. Like, okay, here's a, here's a G note. Here's a G note. There's a G note. Um, but I wasn't somebody that sat around and like practiced scales all day long or really thought very much about, um, you know, theory or harmony at large. It was just learning a lot through repetition and doing and using my ear and, you know, some, and and in a way you you start to learn things without always having a name for them, Mm. you know, and kind of starting to build some of that knowledge without maybe even realizing you are just Mm. from being around it all the time, you know? So, um, yeah, I think the visual side of it was, was huge for me early on, especially. I'm fascinated with, mandolin flat picking technique and uh, I'm a guitar player um, and if you talk to guitar players about who rules flat picking it's either they'll say well go talk to a mandolin player or go talk <laughs> to an oud player you know the Arabic oud yeah. Oh, yeah. They, boy do they know how to do flat it's picking amazing. it's a different yeah so <clears throat> I'm curious in the mandolin world is there as much debate about flat pick technique as there is among guitarists? Because with guitarists, there are those who are the strict alternating picking camp. Once you play a downstroke, you play an upstroke no matter what. Then there's the beat-oriented, which is my favorite, which is downstroke when your foot is down, upstroke on anything that's an upbeat. Then there's the economy picking, which is fall, 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 up, only when you have to shift. Do you guys go at it tooth and nail the way we do? Um. Yes, I would say so somewhat, but um, guitar, I feel like, is so much more, I mean, I think of the mandolin as being like a completely diverse instrument, truly. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's an instrument that you can really play whatever style of music you want, um, Mm -hmm. which I guess pretty much any instrument can be that, you know, if you're Mm -hmm. willing to take it there. Um, But guitar is just universally a more broad instrument and the way we think of it you know it's like you have sort of your your flat picking guitarists all the way to like your metal guitarists and like Mm -hmm. the techniques can shift like I I recently um just did like a little video of me covering um a part of this uh song called 40 ounces by this band called oh yeah I saw that and so I was playing it on electric electric mandolin because for one 
like it's a very rangy song so to even be able like with the just the natural way that mandolin is set up and fifths and you know we don't have quite as much range as a guitar player would like some of those shifts on the mandolin um to keep the octaves the same just wouldn't even quite be possible you'd have to like change just you know change the vibe of the song a little bit but i have this five string electric baritone mandolin that has a high B string. It has a high mm. B string instead of a like a low C. Like sometimes you yeah. see a five string with a low C, but this has a high B. And so, so I just was messing around with it, and I learned to play a little bit of that song on there. But it's a really fast kind of thing. So, um, anyway, I, I posted this this thing of me like being like, okay, I'm practicing learning this thing, and and so many people who you know know the Polyphia version, which they're kind of a new band to me. Um, but we're like, oh my God, she's alternate. She, you know, she's alternating picking <laughs> instead of doing like the sweep. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, if I knew how to do a sweep, maybe that would make life a little easier. <laughs> maybe that would be the thing. But you don't see techniques like that very much in in the mandolin world, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially like on an electric instrument, like some of that that particular song has, where they'll do the tapping you know, as well. So like I was just trying to play it all alternating, which in some ways is, you know, causing me to work a little harder than, than maybe if I had some of those other techniques, but you don't see that as much in mandolin. There, there is certain, um, like, uh, Katarina Littenberg. I don't know if you know her. She's married to Mike Marshall, who you may know Mm -hmm. as the Mm -hmm. mandolinist, but she's like an amazing classical mandolin player. And there's certain techniques Mm -hmm. in sort of the classical side, especially like somebody like her. She's, she lives in Germany. I'm not sure she's from there originally, but like, you know, she's, teaches mandolin at a classical conservatory like classical mandolin at a conservatory and uh and so like i've seen her you know play some things and use certain picking techniques that would be quite different than what you'd really use in the bluegrass world but yeah for the most part i mean i've always done alternating picking with you know there's always some exception to that of course you know but more of the beat oriented um thing like you were talking about Let's say a guitar player comes to you, intermediate guitar player, can play lead, can play rhythm, knows the chord shapes, all that. They want to move to mandolin. So obviously they have the picking together, so to speak. They're able to fret notes on a neck. That's not foreign to them. What are some of the tips that you would give an intermediate guitar player about playing the mandolin? So I've always thought of the switch from mandolin to guitar to being like very similar. I've never felt like I have to completely change my technique to switch between the two, but naturally it's a bigger instrument. So even as a kid, I remember like trying to even stretch from like, say second fret to fourth fret on the guitar and, you know, needing to use my pinky instead of my ring finger. Like, you know, somebody might use that. So like there's certain things, even just depending on hand size. And and what I hear from a lot of people is they'll say, Oh, um, my hands are too big to play mandolin, you know? And so I'm like, well, okay, look at Adam Steffi. There are plenty of people who can, can do it. It's just, there's certain things that you have to kind of think, um, think smaller than guitar. So like, for instance, even just the, um, right hand technique of, you know, string spacing and, and just kind of dialing it into a slightly more minimal (laughs) approach, you know, than some people have with guitar. It's like, because it's a small instrument, there is certain things that, that you really have to kind of 
zone in on in a uh, maybe a slightly more micro way. Um, but for the most part, I really, I, I really think that the technique, at least in my experience, isn't that different. Um, it's just more of, you know, kind of honing in on the, um, the size of the instrument. And I think, you know, that's the case when I switch to octave mandolin or guitar or, you know, even, um, even a different mandolin that might have a slightly wider spacing just as some guitars do, you know, and, mm-hmm. and things like that too. So um, I don't think they should be terribly intimidated by the idea of it because I think, you know, it's just like anything. You just spend a little time getting used to the feel of it. But overall, I don't think my, my pick hold or even my left hand general technique changes very much. So another yeah. vi- so I saw the Polyphia video, which was amazing, but another video I saw was a view playing through Get Up John with what's, what you guys called split <laughs> tuning on the mandolin, which mm. is something completely, well, mostly foreign to guitar players, unless maybe you get into the 12-string variety. But can you give us a little uh, summary of what split tuning is and, and what the advantages are of it? Well, so it's not something you see used a whole lot. Actually, I would say almost next to never, um, unless someone is playing something very specific. Like, so the tune you're referring to, Get Up John, is a Bill Monroe tune. And so if you think about it, like Bill Monroe being like, you know, the father of bluegrass, as we call it, and, and, and the, the main guy that sort of influenced this whole generation of, of bluegrass mandolin players to want to play, you know, these F5 mandolins and play lead on the instrument um, the way a fiddle would, you know, it was all kind of new um, when he was doing it within, you know, the, the even country old time scene before, you know, he sort of branded it all as bluegrass. Like that was a big part of it was him actually playing lead on the mandolin. Um, And there's two tunes that I can think of. um, And there may have been more that, that he used this kind of approach of, of split tune or cross tuning. Different people might call it different things. Um, And get up John is one of them. And, uh, Last Days on Earth um, was a song that, that he recorded like way later in his career. And it's this beautiful, like haunting melody. Um, but he also used the, the split tuning on that. Um, and essentially all, I mean, I don't know if there's any real rules to it. I certainly wouldn't think of it as so. I mean, obviously, if you're going to play Get Up John, you'd want to, you know, dial in the specific tuning that he used if you're wanting to, to mimic that. But it's taking you know, the mandolin has eight strings tuned in pairs. Normally you're treating it as though it's four. So anytime you play, you're playing through two at once, um, just trying to get a single sound out of it the same way you would a guitar. Um, With the split tuning, you have one of the strings and and sometimes both strings tuned, tuned differently. So they wouldn't be tuned in pairs. So I can't even remember off the top of my head um, when I was doing that video. I, I remember I had just been messing with it, but like the the G strings are tuned differently and the E strings are tuned differently. So um, that's something that I had gotten into um, more with octave mandolin in recent years. So aside from Bill Monroe, I can't really think of any, hardly any other examples where people would really use it very much, which kind of seems crazy to me because it's, it's a really fun and cool thing. Now, when Bill would do it, he would play through, um, he would still keep the right hand technique the same where he would treat it as one stroke, right? So you're basically just getting like a dissonant sound, like a harmony, but but as one note, a harmony. Exactly. 
Um, but the thing that I've messed with a lot on, on, and I even wrote a couple songs and used this on my last record, is taking the octave mandolin and having the strings, the pairs of the strings tuned um, separately. So for instance, maybe you have two A strings keeping one A and then tuning one A down to G. And then same thing with like the E string, taking one E string and leaving it normal and then tuning the other one down a whole step um, to D. But instead of actually treating it like one note, that's a harmony with a harmony coming through more like a double stop kind of sound. Mm -hmm. I'm actually playing them individually, which is a little easier to do on the octave mandolin because it's, it's bigger, but it's still, mm -hmm. it's still pretty tricky. Like it's something I've had to work out a lot to be able to really execute, but you can, you can get a more harp like sound. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, if anybody wants to, to hear it, like there's a song on my record called waiting and then another one called less that I use the tuning on. And then I actually, I think I might've adjusted the tuning a little bit. I can't even remember what I use now cause it's been a little bit, but I, I recorded um, a John Prine cover called summer's end. And I used this split tuning on that. And that may be something to, if you, if you really want to hear it, maybe check that out more than anything because it's just vocal and octave. So you can really hear it, but it almost gives like a, a harp like sound because you can actually get all of, you can get instead of, um, having you know whatever four strings it's more like you're you have six strings all of a sudden mm -hmm. if, if you play right. them individually so it's it's a little bit of a tricky technique and anybody i feel like that's seen me do it is like what is going on like what you know how is this possible i'm like well if you have to play kind of soft to do it i mean or at least develop like a really controlled technique to where you're not accidentally hitting both because at times it can't, if you're trying to do something where you don't want it to be dissonant, you know, you're sort of limited on the, the intervals that'll work, right. you know, if that makes sense to have like the two notes on one fret. Right. So, sure. but yeah, that's a nerdy, nerdy, nerding out just a little bit here, but I, that seems like this is the place this, to do this it. This is right? a safe space here. <laughs> this is a safe space for, for nerding out. I love it. I love it. I'm going crazy with the opportunity for a 12 string for guitarists yes, to say it'd be endless oh man because you could just split tune and if i'm not mistaken pat Matheny, long ago i heard that he wrote a tune or played a tune on a 12 string where some of the pairs were not octaves or yeah. unison yeah like that's all like i think it's it might be a rumor I, I don't have the octave handy, but I do have just my regular mandolin, and it's maybe not quite as effective as it is on a... Let me just see if I... Technically, for those that are listening, so normally you have the A is still the same, so that's one A, and then the, the other pair of the A is now tuned down. So, like, you can play them together. Okay, that sounds pretty distant, right? But, but if you play them separately... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That ringing. It's, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, there's like, there's just endless possibilities. And I remember messing with it with the octave mandolin just when I was change, changing strings one day. And then I was like, oh, you know what? You actually could get used to just playing one. It's a little tricky, but like, 
it's doable. And then you have just this whole harp like effect, which can be, it can be really cool if you want something with some angst or it can just be really beautiful depending on how you have it tuned too. So yeah, it's, it's a fun, it's, it's something I've had a lot of fun messing with over the last couple of years. Well, this has been such a great uh, masterclass for me and just rethinking about the mandolin and, and learning about your background, Sierra. And uh, we're <laughs> so excited to have you the rest of this week. Hey, excited to be here. Thanks a lot. All right. We'll see everybody back on Wednesday. <laughs>